Before we get started, I know you're tired of watching Netflix. You've binged every series that you can possibly binge. You've gained five pounds eating ice cream. I'm speaking for a friend. And you're looking for something different, right? You actually want to grow and develop. We've got a great resource for you at businessmadesimple.com. It's Business Made Simple University. We have courses on the Enneagram. We have a course that will help you create your mission statement and guiding principles. We have courses that will help you with your messaging. We have courses that will help you with your marketing. We are soon adding a course on how to write a proposal, how to be productive, how to grow a company from zero to 10 million. We are continually adding courses. If you are looking for a way to develop yourself so that you can climb out of this recession and recover boldly, go to businessmadesimple.com. It's $275 to enter the platform. $275 compared with $50,000 of college debt is a pretty good deal. We think we're the best business university in the country, practically speaking. Go to businessmadesimple.com. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., today on the podcast, we have James Clear. Yes. And James has, last I looked, he had the number seven book on Amazon. <laughs> the number- <laughs> It's been there for a while. Like, it's been there it's, for a couple years yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's called Atomic Habits. Uh-huh. And we actually had James on back before Atomic Habits was a big breakthrough bestseller. Yep. And we talked about the book Atomic Habits. But he was here in the house. We're yeah. in my studio up above the house. And uh, he was here in the house recently. I had a group of uh, six or eight New York Times bestselling authors. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. <laughs> Just barely pre-COVID. Yes. I mean, like everybody got on the plane. It was the last plane they got on yeah. for a long time. And we sat around talking about sort of best practices in selling books. And what was fascinating to me about James, because James was here, was that he had no name recognition, Mm -hmm. no platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had started a blog and started collecting some email addresses. But the way that he released and promoted his book turned it into a bestseller. Now, a lot of people have written on habits. Yeah. Let's say a thousand. Yeah, minimally. And he has the dominant book on habits. Yeah. And there's a reason. It's the way he structured the release and structured the product and framed the product. And I was curious to explore with James, how do you do this if you're selling plungers? Yeah. How do you do this if you're selling just about anything? So we actually have a best-selling author on habits talking about how he marketed a book about yeah. habits. <laughs> yeah, what habits he'd used. That's yeah, a fascinating <laughs> conversation. And he's a very humble guy, but he's incredibly competent. Yeah. Just ridiculously competent. I say this because you and I also released a book. We did. Called Marketing Made Simple. <laughs> yes, we did. That we didn't talk about. No, but very little. <laughs> well, we had an entire campaign built around it. We had a massive campaign. <laughs> and it did not feel good to use that campaign in, well, we, when we needed to shift our messaging. It came out the Tuesday that followed the Monday when the entire country went into quarantine. Yep. And... <laughs> <laughs> It's all in the timing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, we decided not to talk about our book. Well, because we And it did, still hit the Wall well, Street Journal bestsellers, yeah, U.S. News made, bestsellers. It, it beat Michelle Obama. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't, uh, it didn't make the New York Times. On, that will be on my tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is that we had this huge campaign built around it about how people could, there was going to be money on every page, because there was. We yeah, have a we lot built of a whole campaign. really practical tips, but it was a very like 
upbeat, excited. That's right. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, do celebratory poppers. Let's throw money in the air. And we immediately, <laughs> as soon as everything shut down, we went, nope. With pictures nope. of us with our arms around each other. Yeah, and like everybody, and <laughs> big parties and everything. And we shifted immediately. Now, we did still release it, we obviously. Can't use, we can't use any of this. <laughs> no, we can't use any of it. But we changed very quickly our messaging. And that's one thing that... Um, anybody during this time has the ability to do. And right. they can change their messaging. Well, we saved, I mean, bottom line, we saved the company. When we decided not to release the book and to pivot all our messaging toward, hey, the next workshop is actually live online, yep. we actually had a higher revenue than we would have and higher profit margins. The point that you're getting to is that if you have a sales funnel, you can survive. Yeah. If you have email addresses and all that kind of stuff, you and can. That's you can what make he it. did. He built, he built his a book sales launch funnel. from a sales funnel that's with right. no platform, with no name recognition, starting from something very small. And that's what I love about this interview because you know we could have gone back and gone into Atomic Habits, which probably yeah. everybody has read at this point or should read. And their habits are all shot now. But that really, they spend say, yeah, six exactly. weeks in front of a television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really, going like, okay, so starting from almost zero, yeah. how do you position? How how do you use a sales funnel to launch a new product? Well, and a even new what idea. do you call the product? Yeah. And uh, the, the sort of the psychology is brilliant at this yep. stuff. You know, a couple things. One is I didn't mean to plug it, but a sales funnel does equal profit. If you aren't collecting email addresses, you cannot reach out to customers when you need to. And so a sales funnel helps you do that. Our book, Marketing Made Simple, <laughs> teaches you to do that. Good transition. We bro. are re-releasing the book in October. It is available now. We're going to pretend it didn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going, to re- we're going to release it in October. So you're going to hear, or probably September. Yeah. But you'll hear a lot about it. But get the book now and build a sales funnel. That's the foundation of what James is talking about. But whatever it is that you are producing and promoting and releasing to the public, you need to understand the psychology of how to do it in such a way that you can win. And today, we don't go to a person who's an expert at marketing. We go to a person who's a practitioner yeah. at marketing, yes. and we're reverse engineering, what in God's name did you do yeah. <laughs> to sell 733 billion copies of this book? <laughs> That's what it's at yeah. right now. Amazing. It, literally, everybody on the planet has bought four. And it's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a great book. <laughs> it is a good book. book. Yeah. Well, that's part of it, right? Yeah. I actually talk about yeah. that in the interview. It is a good book. So listen, you're climbing out of uh, of this quarantine. We are moving into a recovery, and who knows how long this recession will last. I think it will be shorter-lived than most recessions. I don't think this is a three-year journey. I think it's a 12-month journey. I think the entire country is very excited to get back to work. That doesn't mean that you don't need a sales funnel because you're going to need a sales funnel to climb out of this, and then you're going to need a sales funnel to make the most money during uh, the recovery and when we get back to our peak uh, performance. And then when disaster hits again, you're not going to have to worry because you have one. So these are things that we need to pay attention to and get right. You know, We don't get fully into sales funnel on this, but James, uh, from a practitioner standpoint, answers and was patient with me peppering with questions and how did you do this? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you have anything that you want to sell, this is going to be, I think, both an inspiration, an encouragement, and also it's going to equip you to do it the right way. Anyway, we'll get right to it. Here's my conversation with best-selling author of a book called Atomic Habits, Mr. James Clear. James Clear, thanks for being on. Hey, good to talk to you. Hey, last time we talked about your book, Atomic Habits, since then it's sold another 200 million copies. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually want to talk about 
you know, how a guy who'd never written a book before ne- didn't necessarily have a huge platform, although you'd built a platform. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that too. How you released the product, why you named the product, what you did, how you sold more copies of it. This uh, interview is designed to translate to anybody if you're selling plungers or anything else. But let's just go all the way back. How many copies of Atomic Habits have sold so far? Uh, it's about 1.7 million. In Which is just astronomical. In about a year and a half. Yeah, a that's astronomical. So so uh, about 2.2 2 years, I've sold 300,000 copies of my book, and I'm extremely happy with that. So you're, you're, You should you're, be. That's great. That's <laughs> yeah. a, Thank you for the charity. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, so you've done quadruple that in half the time. First of all, it's a very good book. I mean, let's not discredit the fact you actually have to do some research. You have to actually put together a great product. However, you and I both know there are a lot of great products out there that do mediocre. There's another side of, I think, your brilliance in the sense that you understand how to clarify your message, position it to an audience, serve and care for that audience, nurture them, be in a good relationship, earn trust, continue to communicate. Can we go through some of how you did that? Sure. Before the book came out, you were testing material. Uh, you were not testing material necessarily, but you were you were revealing your research and your ideas in a blog. Is that true? Right. Do you think blogging is still powerful and effective? Um, yeah, it's a little different now than it was before. You know, it used to be maybe t- say ten years ago, um, you would follow someone's blog and look at their daily updates. It was all reverse chronological order. You might right. go to the archives. I don't really think people consume blogs like that anymore. But the uh, the general idea of let me write an article or a blog, whatever you want to call it, and post it online and get immediate feedback and iterate and learn yeah, what really resonates with people and edit stuff. Edit and figure out what to write about. That I think is great because one of the challenges of writing a book is that the feedback is so delayed. Yeah. You know, you're working, you're writing, you're showing up day in, day out for months on end and nobody has read anything yet. And that was really hard for me. I was like, I just need to know if this is in the going the right direction or not. Right. And yeah. with a blog, you can, you know, or any article online, you can post it, email it out, you get feedback within 10 minutes. And yeah. so that part of the iteration, I think, is was very helpful for me and is still true today. And you can do in a lot of different forms, whether it's a blog or a podcast or even even a tweet to a certain degree, you could test an idea. Yeah. Um, no, I've had tweets but, that have taken off like tenfold and they've definitely ended up in a book as a sentence. You know? But the core idea is the same, which is like, I want to try to test this idea, iterate on it a little bit, uh, get feedback from people and see if I'm moving in the right Did direction. Did you know that there was a book in there when you were writing all the blogs? You know, I did not start out. I started out wanting to be an entrepreneur, not necessarily wanting to be an author. Yeah. And I, so I wanted to build an email list because everybody said that was really important. And it turned out that writing a blog was a good way to do that. And then this weird thing happened, which is I got about a year or two into that. And I was like, you know, like, I kind of like writing. Um, like <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't say the last two days, I I've noticed you're think, a writer. Yeah. I, you know, if you were to go to any of my teachers, a high school English teacher or a professor in college, I took one English class in college. I think they'd have been like, yeah, he was fine. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think they'd be like B plus, you know, like he, he was okay, right? They, they certainly would not have said this guy's definitely going to be an yeah, author, yeah. you know, fast track him. So, um, and by the way, the ones who were, the ones who were going to be an author are now just teaching high school English. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's fun. I don't know. It, it just kind of, so I kind of stumbled my way into it in that right. sense. But as I started writing the articles and I did two a week for the first three years when I was writing at jamesclear.com, that's kind of how I built the audience there. Right. And it was through that process that I discovered I liked writing. And also, once I got two or three years in, then I realized, yeah, I think some of this could be a book. I don't know which pieces or how it'll look exactly, but I do feel like this is there's leading. a book in it's leading somewhere. toward yes. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a book in here. Right. You said this morning we were, we were out on the front porch. You said you know we were talking about being recognized and mm. how great it is to kind of be an author and and not be as recognized or anything like that. And you said you really hope that someday your brand is not unlike. 
uh, Kate Spade or you know you, you pick some fashion icons mainly because if one of those fashion icons walked up on our porch we wouldn't know who they are but we would know their name can you go into that a little bit in terms of your your idea of building a personal brand is a little different than the person who is famous yeah you know who can't go to into a store without being mobbed I mean I should just say, first of all, I should just say like this is just my personality you know right, it's right. just my, yeah. my personal approach I, but it has I changed really, how you're building your brand it yes changed, that, yeah. that is definitely true the strategy is different because of what I personally am interested in so personally I have no interest in being famous professionally, I would like the ideas to be very famous. I'd like right. the, the books to do well. I'd like the writing to do well. I like them to help people and reach as many people as possible. So for the perspective of the ideas, I want to optimize for reach. For the perspective of me as an individual, I'm not really optimizing for that. Right. So for that reason, I like brands like Kate Spade or Calvin Klein or whatever. Brands that you could say are known by name, but not by face. Yeah. And I think James Clear could be like that. It could be a brand that's known for the quality of the work and providing really practical and actionable and helpful things. But you don't necessarily need to know who I am or spot me on the street or whatever. Yeah. So it changes it, the it strategy like a, a little rider. bit because, you know, I'm not going to start a YouTube channel. I'm not putting selfies up on social media. I'm putting up quotes or passages or ideas. So it really... Sometimes I sort of view it as a, it's like an intentional handicap. You know, the way that like peacocks have this huge tail and it doesn't help them survive. It actually slows them down. It's a, a predator would be more likely to capture a peacock, but it's an expensive signal, a costly signal that proves their fitness. The only way you can have a really beautiful, huge tail like that is if you're healthy and can run away from a predator despite this drawback. Hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of viewing it like that. It's like, I don't have anywhere to hide. I can't use video. I can't use my face. You're not going to follow me just because I'm an interesting personality or whatever. You're only following me if the ideas are so good that you get value from them. Yeah. And so it's like, I can't do anything else except deliver the absolute best ideas possible. And um, that's what the brand is. And so I kind of like putting myself in that position because it just forces me to be better. I think it's comforting for a lot of, of more introverted, you know, real writers, if you will. You've spoken of owning the relationship with your audience and the importance of owning the relationship with your audience. Mm. Can you give me an example of what you're talking about, but also what does it look like to not own the relationship with your audience? Who doesn't own the relationship with their audience? Well, we could probably just rephrase it as ownership as distribution, basically. The core idea here is that like ideas are very easy to copy, but distribution is very hard to copy. So you can have a concept, you can have an approach, you can have a strategy, and you see this in basically every industry. Yeah, great, like you came up with an innovation, your competitors will probably replicate that within six months. And so the idea is very easy to copy. What you wanna own is the distribution. In the case of an author, that's the email list or your social media following or your website and how much traffic you get from Google and all those type of things. You're what we call your platform. In the case of other businesses, it might be like the relationships with retailers, possibly going direct to consumer, like a variety of things like that. And the more that you own the distribution, the more that you own that relationship with the customer, the more insulated you are from uh, a middleman possibly being in between there and, and squeezing you out or causing you Yeah, we just had a conversation to let the audience in. We had a conversation with Jonathan Merck, who's been in publishing for a very long time, and he talked about the fact that Amazon, almost probably less than 2% of their sales are actual books but they own 50% of the market. So as they own more and more of the market, they're able to leverage out authors. And why is because they own the distribution. So we all think we'll own the content, create the content. You know, There's another level of thinking of own the distribution because if you don't do that, 
I don't care how much content you create, you are beholden to whoever gets to distribute it. Right. And so this idea of not just creating a personal brand, but e-stores and those kinds of things and your own content, I think are really important. Another thing that you said that I thought was really wisdom kind of in our sessions was frame your offering. That is it, that a good title is not going to do all the work. You actually have to think about how the public is going to see your product and understand your product. Can you talk a little bit about owning, you know, framing your product and owning the frame? Yeah, Atomic Habits is a good example here. So the, there's a chapter later in the book about deliberate practice. So it could have been a book about deliberate practice with a chapter on habits, but instead, but deliberate practice. I agree with you because I don't know what it is. It takes a lot of calories for me to understand it, and pretty soon my mind goes, "Okay, I'm not interested because I don't understand." It. It's certainly not as big of a frame as habits are. Right. And so making it a book about habits with a chapter on that concept uh, on deliberate practice was a much better frame to choose for the book. And but, but did you even know when you wrote the book, this is going to be called Atomic Habits, or it could have gone a, m a bunch of different directions. The, in other words, the exact same book could have been perceived on the market a number of different ways. Well, what I did know is I knew it was going to be a book about habits. Right. Now, did I know that I was going to call it Atomic Habits or how the particular outline of the book or the structure or whatever, that, that was up for debate as I was working on it. Um, but I knew that that was going to be the frame or the topic. And so the considerations here are going to be very specific to the product you're working on or the business you're in. But that general principle of let's choose the frame that gives us the most options here. A lot of people are interested in habits, not nearly as many people are interested in deliberate practice. If it's going to be roughly the same topic, or you're going to cover roughly the same ideas inside the book, either way, choose the frame that gives you the most options. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea there. And you're really choosing the one that's most interesting, the one the most felt need. Yep. Or the one that people the, think uh, they needed. To the other thing that we had talked about with this, and I think this is kind of where you're getting to with it is the book or the product, whatever it is, the potential customer needs to be able to see why they would benefit from that almost immediately. Yes. Like if, yes, if it yes, requires yes, yes. additional explanation, it's not clear enough. It's not, it's not addressing it well enough. You know, like agree. you need to be able to, in the case of a book, somebody who's never heard about you, they have no context with what you've done. They see it on a shelf or they see it on a page on Amazon. They come there and they know immediately within like five seconds, oh, I get what this is about. I know why I would benefit from it. Yeah. And if it requires more than that, if you need to sit down and like tell them two or three sentences, it's never gonna spread because the people don't have enough context. I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with James Clear in just a moment. The next three weeks on the podcast, we're going to do something very special during this segment. We're actually going to interject an interview into the interview. And this interview is going to be with one of our StoryBrand certified marketing guides. You know, there are a lot of marketers, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of freelance marketers in the country. You've hired some of them to do your website and all that kind of stuff. And you probably didn't get a good return on your investment. We got tired of that because we know if you create a sales funnel and you do it right, any company that has a good product should get a great return on their investment. So we began finding great marketers and then certifying them. They come to Nashville, spend four days with me to learn how to build a sales funnel our way. And then they go through another year of training to get even better. And they also share best practices with each other. We wanted to take some time and interview some of these marketers and really just kind of get some wisdom from them on how you, the listener, can do better business. So for the next three weeks, you're going to hear from our StoryBrand certified guides. If you ever want to hire one of our guides, just go to marketingmadesimple.com and you can find a guide to build a sales funnel for you. But right now, here's the first of three interviews. 
Sonia Jobson, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being a StoryBrand certified guide. Absolutely. You came to Nashville. You'd been marketing for a long time, and and uh, you you went through our certification program and our training, and have worked with a lot of clients since. And I'm wondering, you know, we've got 91,000 business leaders, business owners listening to this podcast. And they're all wondering how they can do better marketing. And from your perspective, you've worked with so many clients. What have you seen them do that got the best results? So I think uh, like the top three things. First is just using fewer words. I think that's the biggest thing we probably work on with clients is whether it's a website or an email campaign. They want to just say so much and cram so much information into it and just taking a step back and really getting rid of in a lot of in a lot of cases like 50 percent or 80 percent of that content or 95 (laughs) percent sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's so much um, and just focusing that content on the really important key aspects that makes a huge difference. Can you share a little bit about what you think those key aspects are? Just a couple of them that, uh, that it's important to just leave with this. Yeah. So it's primarily about switching the focus from talking about their company and what they're doing and their mission and switching that to focus on their customer and what they need and the problem that they have. Mm -hmm. What's the second thing that you've noticed that uh, has gotten best results? Asking people for the sale. So putting calls to action. (laughs) Funny how that works, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. And it's funny how often that can be missed Um, on a website and email campaigns. It's just putting those calls to action and making sure that they're clear. Uh, making a very specific ask. I love it. And the third? The third would be, uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit already, but always focusing in on the problem that you solve. I think that is the biggest thing you need to be talking about in terms of getting people's attention and then encouraging them to buy is just focusing in on the problem that you solve for them, not about the features of your product or service, but how it makes your customer's life better. Yeah. The only reason people spend money is to solve a problem. That's it. There's just no, and if you don't talk about the problem, they don't actually give you the money. So right. use fewer words. Stop talking about yourself and talk about your customers' problems and ask for the sale. Three Absolutely. fantastic ideas. <laughs> Sonny, it sounds so kind of remedial that everybody's going to want to go, okay, well, I'll do that myself. And then they can't. They end up talking about themselves. They don't even know they're doing it. So I'm grateful for people like you who can, uh, who can just sit people down and say, nope, your fly is down. Here's what's really happening in your marketing. Right. Let's fix it. Yeah, I love it. What's your favorite part about being StoryBrand certified guide? The confidence that it gives me, I think, just walking into a new project and saying, we have a plan that gets results and kind of demystifying the process. I think marketing can feel like a really expensive experiment sometimes for a lot yeah. of business owners and just being able to feel confident. And we have a plan. If we do step one, step two, step three, we can help you move towards your goals. I love it. Well, Sonia from Grand Rapids, Michigan, thanks for being a guy, and thanks for helping so many of our listeners make a lot more money in their marketing. Certainly appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Again, if you'd like to hire a StoryBrand certified guide, go to marketingmadesimple.com. And now back to the rest of my interview with James Clear. You were on CBS this morning, the week that your book came out. Now, right. you, you never had a book out before. Mm-hmm. You did have a blog. You had how many email addresses when you launched the book? Uh, I think it was over four hundred thousand. That's I mean, that's a great. So a first of all, list. congrats yeah. on actually getting email addresses. Thank well, you. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, sure. But how did you use your email address or leverage your email addresses 
to, I thought it was genius that you got a bunch of media contacts through that. Yeah. The CBS story is a little bit different. So what you're asking about is like, I kind of reached out to my audience and said, who do you know in media? Do you have any you know uh, friends or people that you know that you can connect with for this book launch? And that was very helpful. And I think the principle there is you may not have the right person in your audience, but the people in your audience probably know yeah, the right person. They're one or two people removed yeah. from anybody. And so, you so you're just know. trying to facilitate that a little bit. But the CBS story is interesting because I think this proves the value of creating things that uh, what all the phrase that I like is what's the work that continues to work for you after you've completed it. Hmm. So you're, you're not working on it anymore, but it's still doing work for you in the background. So as an example, uh, pretty much any form of media is like this, recording a podcast, writing an article, putting up a blog post. So I had an article that I wrote about four years ago. It's called uh, The Physics of Productivity and just took like Newton's Laws of Physics and kind of like turned it into some productivity ideas that you could use. And it did fine. I posted it. It just, it was kind of an average performance on my site. Sat there for a couple of years, nothing really happened. And then a few months before my book came out, randomly, a reporter at the New York Times read that article on my site and they liked it. So they linked to it in a piece that they wrote on, on the New York Times. That day, a, a producer at CBS this morning read the New York Times piece, hmm. clicked through to my site, found me, and then the next week I was on CBS this morning. That was a couple months before the book came out. So after we did that segment, I said, hey, I have a book coming out in a couple months. And they were like, we'd love to have you back. And so that was how that got, that got set up. But the point that I think the punchline there is that I did that work. And it, luck is often like this. If you keep showing up, you create a long enough runway or enough surface area for something good to happen to you. Right. And so you I made the that- window longer. Right. I wrote that article. And if you would have asked me two years ago, hey, how was that article that you spent all this time on? I'd be like, eh, it was just okay. But now if you ask me, I'm like, actually, it was super valuable because I got that opportunity out of it. Yeah. And so what is the work that keeps working for you after it's done? The stuff that's it's sitting in the background providing opportunities, even though it's over. So many novice authors. And at the time, you were a novice author. Let's oh, face yeah. it, you hadn't had a book out. I mean, I and, still am in a lot of ways. I only have <laughs> one book. You know. But at the same time, most of them, you know, I'm being a little judgmental here, but it's, it's through experience. They're writing a book and they don't want to do any sort of promotion because they want to be so genius that people have found them and mm. are, you know, they, and they're really testing their identity. I've also noticed something else about that kind of person who's like, I just want to write it. I don't want to promote it. I want to talk about it. Secretly, they're going online every night looking at the Amazon, you know, oh, ranking sure. and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And really, the one th there's a correlation there that I've noticed, and I realize it's anecdotal. All of those books are bad. They're just not good books. Because I don't think you can really write great books with that kind of identity crisis going on. You actually worked as hard on getting your book out there and promoting it as you did on writing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there are two principles here as I'm listening to you talk that I feel like are really important. So first is just, this is just kind of my approach. I think it's the author's responsibility to find the reader. I don't think it's the reader's job to find you. Like you, that is such you, a servant-hearted attitude, which is sound counterintuitive. But if you think about how arrogant it is to say, "I've written something so genius, I can go crawl into a hole and people will find it and come looking for me," that's a very arrogant thing to say. People are busy. I mean, if you think about it, like, look, it's kind of a minor miracle anybody listens to uh, the podcast or <laughs> yeah, reads the yeah, book yeah. or whatever, right? right like, yeah. there are so many things people can do with their lives, and life is short. So, like, it, it is your job to find the reader and your job to write something great. Hmm. So I definitely feel like that principle is something that a lot of authors, mm, I don't know, they overlook or don't, they yeah, don't yeah. gravitate. And publishers it. can't stand yeah. it. I mean, they, they want you to go out there and do some legwork. Two more questions. Yeah. How do you actually grow your audience? What is the way that you went from, I would imagine way over 400,000 now, but what are the ways that you actually grew your audience? I mean, the first one is the, it's the, it accounts for most of the, um, the impact, but it's the least sexy answer, which is, 
I wrote two articles a week for three years, and most people don't do that. Um, I spend about somewhere between 15 to 20 hours usually on each article. How'd you pay rent when you were doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so for the first year, I had another business that I had. So I was, I've had, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. For the first two years, I tried a bunch of stuff. I basically did like freelance web design gigs to pay the bills. Yeah. And then two years in, I started jamesclear.com and the work that I do now. So I kind of had some of that going in the background. I sort of was like 50% on jamesclear.com and 50% let me pay the rent. Mm. Then about a year in, that site was big enough that I was making money from like, uh, at the time it was basically like a paid seminar or webinar or something, yeah. something like that. So um, that was kind of how I did it until the book came out. Got it. Um, and you were collecting email addresses how? Uh, so I wrote on the blog and then there's so a email people opt-in their email to notify. Yeah, it was about. like, uh, you know, sign up to get the, the weekly newsletter. And I, I still, you know, my most popular email is it's called 321. Every Thursday, I send out three short ideas from me, two quotes from other people and one question to think Brilliant. about during the week. And um, there's whatever, 650,000 people who get that email each week now. And th so it's mostly the newsletter that I was building. And then, you know, by providing a lot of free value, then when it came time for the book to come out, I could email them and say, hey, you know, you've enjoyed the articles so far. Uh, now I wrote a book. So feel free to check it out. Final question. What sort of relationship are you looking for for your audience? Well, the main thing that I'm looking for is to just be useful, to yeah. be helpful. And so I, my lens, whenever I look at my website, I always think, how can I make it as easy as possible for uh, the reader to fall in love with the work? So part of that is doing great work, something that's worth falling in love with. It provides enough value or is actionable or practical or whatever. Uh, and then the other part of it is like a design thing. I, I view web design as like a service to the reader. You know, like I, I don't want it to be distracting. I have like a single column template on my site. When you're reading, the only thing that's happening on the page is you're reading it. I almost want you to be like, five minutes into an article before you even realize that it's reading that you're doing. You know, like it's just so easy for you to get into it. I'm not looking to put hoops between me and my readers to jump through. So I guess, yeah, I would say the relationship is mostly one of uh, providing great value. I, I just want to be helpful. Well, I think you're very helpful, extremely useful. James Clare, thank you so much. Great, thank you. There you go, JJ. It's possible. It is. We can we can be best-selling <laughs> authors. We can someday. go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> we can have the number seven book yeah. on Amazon. Here we go. Well, hopefully, no matter what you sell, you got something out of that. I know we did. Thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks as always for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>